Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and sustain us according to your promise, so that we will live and our hopes will not be dashed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Matthew, and we've been studying Matthew's gospel and particularly what Jesus, the Lord Jesus, has been doing since his baptism in the earlier part of the book. After his baptism, Jesus' ministry began, and we see that he marveled people with his words and his works that he did works of great power and healing people, Uh, miracles were done by him, but he also spoke amazing words. Uh, We have the Sermon on the Mount given to us in Matthew 5 through to chapter 7, and the crowds were amazed at his teaching, we hear at the end of Matthew chapter 7. And so what is the response to people, uh, response of people to Jesus' words and his works? Well, they're amazed, and so therefore large crowds start to follow the Lord Jesus. And what does Jesus start to do as these crowds are following him? Well, we read that he starts to get into a boat in verse 18. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. As he's getting into this boat to go to the other side of the lake, who wanted to go with Jesus? Well, there's two people that we've been looking at in the last two weeks. Firstly, we see in verse 19 that a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll go, I will follow you wherever you go. Why did he say this? Well, he probably thought that Jesus was going to equal an easy life. But the Lord Jesus responds in verse 20 with, with foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Very clear with the man that it's going to be a hard life, a tough life, if you follow me. That there will be times where I do not even have a place to lay my head. But then another disciple comes to Jesus as well and says in verse 21, first let me go and bury my father. He is keen to follow Jesus, but he has to attend to other business first. He has to attend to family matters. And what does Jesus do in response to him? Well, we read in verse 22 that Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So we've seen these reactions from different people within the crowd. There's a large crowd following him. They're all amazed at him. And one disciple is, one person is too eager. Uh, He thinks that there's all going to be uh, sunshine and lollipops if he follows the Lord Jesus. And Jesus tells him, no, it's not going to be that way. And then another man is not eager enough. He thinks that there's other matters that come before Jesus and he wants to put those first. So we've seen these two types of disciples in the recent weeks, and now we finally get to verse 23 where he gets into the boat and his actual disciples follow him into the boat. Verse 23 says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. His real disciples get into this boat with him. But what happens to this boat as it goes out onto the lake? Well, a sudden furious storm arises. In verse 24 we read, Without warning a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. This storm arises on this lake, the Sea of Galilee. And what is Jesus doing while this storm comes up on him and his disciples in the boat? Well, we read at the end of verse 24 that Jesus was sleeping. And what do the disciples do in response to this? Well, they go and they wake Jesus up. Verse 25 says, The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Why did they wake him up? They were afraid that they were going to die, that they were going to perish in the midst of this storm. And what did Jesus do as he is awoken by his disciples in the midst of this furious storm? Well, he rebukes the disciples in one way. He says in verse 26, uh, we read in verse 26, he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? 
He rebukes them for their fear. What fear? Fear of death. He rebukes them that they were afraid of death. And it shows that they have little faith in him. Why does it show they have little faith in him? Well, they should have had more confidence in Jesus, uh, even in the face of death. After all, what have people been seeing, including his disciples? They've been seeing that Jesus gives amazing works and amazing words, that he is one who is to be marvelled at, that he can do miraculous things. And so they should have had more faith in him, is what the Lord Jesus is saying to, to them, that they are of little faith and therefore they are afraid. And then what does Jesus also do? Well, he doesn't just rebuke the disciples, he rebukes something else. We see in verse 26, then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The storm stops with a word from the Lord Jesus. And what do the disciples do in response? Well, they are amazed. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They learn more about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and are considering again, who is this man who they are following, who they have chosen to be disciples of? And this is helpful for us today as we consider the Lord Jesus and the response of people to his words and works today. The works of the Lord Jesus are still proclaimed to people. The words of the Lord Jesus are still proclaimed to people today. And people respond in different ways. Some people are like that teacher of the law and they don't want to follow Jesus if it means a tough life. They think that I'm happy to be a Christian if it's going to be an easy life. But as soon as they start to hear that it can be tough to be a Christian well, they are not so keen to follow him into the boat. And then others, of course, are ones who want to put things first. They're like that other disciple that we read about who think that following Jesus sounds good, I want to get into the boat with him, but not today. I've got to deal with other matters first. And there's people like that today as well. But we also understand that today, there are many who do follow Jesus into the boat that there are true disciples of the Lord Jesus who are willing to follow him regardless of whether life will be tough. And what does this mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus today? Well, the old interpretation from the church fathers and on through history is that uh, part of what it means to follow Jesus or the main thing that means to follow Jesus is to join the church. What is the church? Well, we understand that in the Bible, the church is spoken of as as an invisible church by which every Christian is a part of, regardless of where they are in the world or even if they're in heaven itself, that they're all part of Christ's body collectively. But there's also local manifestations of the church as well. There's the universal church, but there's also the local church. And so if we picture the boat as the universal church, the local church is like a bench seat within that boat, isn't it? And so if you join a local church, you find a little bench seat within the boat and you sit on that with other disciples as you're in the bigger boat, which is the universal church. But what happens to Christ's disciples as they're in the boat? Well, the church goes into storms. And often they're without warning. They can come up very quickly, very suddenly. And what do I mean by storms? I mean the things that cause us pain and suffering. And why do we have storms come upon us? Well, it's because there are enemies who rage against the church. There are enemies who rage against the church. What are the enemies of the church? Well, it's their own sinful flesh of people. It's the world, Satan. Satan is one of the great enemies, uh, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And why do they bring storms into the life of the church? Well, it's because they hate Christ and they hate his church. 
And they hate people getting into the boat. They hate people joining the church. The sinful flesh hates when the person decides to join the church. The world hates people joining the church. And Satan himself hates people joining the church. And as a result, they threaten the church with death. They bring pain and suffering and even death threats upon the church. We see this in the early church. If you read church history, you see how heavily it was persecuted uh, as people tried to squash it all together. You can even read about it in the book of Acts. And of course, even made death threats to put people's bodies to death, even as they're seeking to stamp out the church as a whole. And even in a country like ours with great religious freedom, every church still faces death threats from the enemies. There are churches that are here and then churches that go. There are threats from the world always to curtail the church and try and stamp it out if they can, to try and remove pastors from pulpits, to try and remove members from churches. And what happens to some churches? What is the response of some churches, some benches within the great boat that is the church, the universal church? Well, some churches, some local churches become very much afraid. Why? They think the church will die. And they think they themselves will personally die as well. That's the response of the disciples there. As this great storm comes, they think that they will die and the boat will die. And that is the response of churches today. As they hear the death threats and they feel the persecution, they feel the pain and the suffering of this life, they worry that the church will disappear altogether and that they may disappear as well. And what does the church do in their desperation, in their fear? Well, they call out in prayer to Jesus to save them, the same as the disciples did so many years ago. They go to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us. We're going to perish. We're going to die. And what does Jesus do in response? Well, as we read his word and listen to what he has to say, there can often be a rebuke for us. Why? Because we have little faith. Just as he rebuked the disciples so many years ago for their lack of faith, he can do the same today to us. And why is that the case? What's the problem? What's the ultimate problem in this passage? What's the ultimate problem in our lives? It's not the wind and the waves. It's not death. It's not fear. It is a lack of faith. What is our ultimate problem? It's not Satan. It's not the world. It's not our sinful flesh. It's our lack of faith in God our lack of faith in Jesus Christ. And why should the church have more faith? Well, Jesus is in the boat too. He is in the church. It's his body. He is within each member of his church. He is there on the bench seat with his people. He has promised that in Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We should know that Jesus is with us, that we're not alone when the persecution comes, when the enemies attack. And why is it good to have Jesus in the boat? Well, he's made a promise that the gates of hell won't overcome his church. He made that promise in Matthew chapter 16, that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. But how can Jesus promise that? It's all very well to have him in the boat. It's all very well to have him make this promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. But how can he promise that? It's because Jesus is God himself. Jesus is God himself. And his church should know that from his words and his works. That this is not an ordinary man. That this is the son of God. That this is the one who created all things and continues to sustain all things by his powerful word. 
And so as we call upon Jesus and we ask him to save us, he may rebuke us for our lack of faith in fearing that we're going to die and that our little bench seat may be destroyed and we may die. He may rebuke us, but then what does he do in his grace? Well, he does what the Son of God can do. He brings peace. He may remove the storm altogether. He may remove the oppression that a government may be placing on a church. He may remove the desire of that sinful nature to destroy a church. And he may not. But he still gives peace. As we call upon him to save us, he can bring calm to his disciples' hearts, even as they face death threats, even as they fear death for themselves and death for their church. And what will disciples do then? What disciples do today as they see the peace that Christ brings, as he sweeps away the death threats, or at least gives them calm within the death threats, they marvel more at the works of Christ. They marvel more at the works of Christ, just like we see with the disciples so many years ago, that they were amazed at Jesus. And what does that then lead to? It leads to increased faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So they're not as afraid of death in the future, that their fear of death shrinks back, as their faith in Jesus increases. So are you one of those who has counted the cost and gotten into the boat with Jesus? Are you one who has trusted in Jesus Christ and joined his universal church and then joined a local manifestation of that church? Are you sitting on a bench seat within the boat of Christ? If you are... That's wonderful. It's the best thing that you can do in this life is to join Christ's church, to get into the boat with him. But are you someone who still gets afraid when our boat sails into deathly storms? When our boat sails into deathly storms, are you still someone who gets afraid that maybe our church will die? Maybe Christianity will disappear altogether. Maybe I will die. Are you someone who still gets afraid? Well, hear the Lord's rebuke here today. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Don't you realise who is in the boat with you? Jesus is in the boat with you. He's within us here at Dremoyne Baptist Church and he's within the whole church spread across this world. He is with us. We have to realise who Jesus is and that he is in the boat with us. See, the problem is often we look at trouble and we look at Christ and it's like we're looking in a funhouse mirror and seeing reflections of them or a carnival mirror. You know those mirrors where they make some things look really big that are actually small and some things that are really big, it actually makes them small? What's our problem? Well... We view Christ as small and we view the storm as really big when it's actually quite small in comparison to Christ. That's our problem. Christ is small and the storm is big. When in reality, if we looked at a decent mirror, we would see that Christ is big and that storm is tiny in comparison to Christ. So what mirror do we need? How do we see Christ rightly and the storms rightly so that we have faith in Christ and are not afraid? How is this possible? What mirror do we need? We need God's word as the mirror. 
by which we evaluate Christ and by the way we, and by which we evaluate the storms of this world. God's word is a mirror and by it we see the greatness of Christ and the smallness of the storms that are brought by the enemies of God, whether it be our own flesh, the world, or Satan himself, we see those storms as tiny. Even death itself, the great troubler of man, it's tiny in relation to Christ himself. As we read the scriptures, we see how great Christ is. And we should, as we read, keep on reading and say, what kind of man is this? And we keep concluding that this is no ordinary man. This is the Son of God. This is God himself that we are seeing in the pages of scriptures. And then that same Jesus Christ lives amongst us by his spirit. And you say, but where should I go in this mirror to see Christ's greatness and see the smallness of the storms? Where should I read? Well, you can read Matthew chapter 8. And you see the smallness of the storms there as Jesus has power over them. And even here in this, uh, I'm talking about the illnesses firstly in the earlier part of chapter 8, but here in this passage, just think of the power that was there that day on the Sea of Galilee to move waves in large motions against that boat so that even fishermen were concerned that they were going to die. The amount of power, what is quite heavy, the amount of power to push water up onto a boat is huge. I carry around nine litre watering cans and they, they have a good size weight upon them. That's right, nine kilos either hand. And I can't take much more than that if I'm going to do an extensive bit of watering around the garden. Nine litres is pretty much enough. The Sea of Galilee was not nine litres deep. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's an extensive lake. It's fairly, it's a big large body of water. The amount of force required to move that heavy water around so the disciples who are fishermen were concerned is huge. But then as we read Matthew chapter 8 and we see the hugeness of this storm, we also see the even greater Lord Jesus Christ stand up and with a word stop it. All that power, all that energy that was being pushed against that, that water was stilled with a word from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you read Matthew chapter 8, it's a mirror for us to understand the smallness of the storms and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you may say, but where else can I go in the scriptures to see the greatness of Christ so that I am not concerned about the attacks that come upon me and the death threats that I feel towards the church and even towards my own self? Well, another passage that you could go to is Revelation chapter 20. If you want to see the greatness of Christ, the book of Revelation is a wonderful place to see it and to see the smallness of attacks upon the church. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20, which may be found on page 1,230 if you have a church Bible. Page 1,230, and we'll read from verse 7. Verse 7 of Revelation chapter 20, page 1,230, reading from verse 7. Revelation 20, verse 7 says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. 
They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. They're like the sand on the seashore and they're around the city of God, the church, the boat. But what happens, verse 9 says, But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and, the de and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. As we look at the book of Revelation, it is a mirror for us to look at Lord Jesus Christ and to look at the storms, to look at the enemies. And as we look, what do we see? We see who is in the boat with us. We see the one who will rain down fire from heaven on all those who attack the city of God. We see the one who is judge of all and will cast his enemies into the lake of fire. You want to know where to read, where to look in God's mirror to see the greatness of Christ and the smallness of storms? Look in the book of Revelation. Or best of all, look at Christ's death and resurrection. You want to see the greatness of Christ? Look at the cross. Look at his resurrection from the grave where we see the great victory over the storm of death itself, the great storm that comes upon mankind, which is what we're afraid of and what the disciples were afraid of. They were afraid that they were going to die. But Jesus, at the cross, by his resurrection, he has shown that he has conquered death itself, the great enemy of mankind. So let us at Dremoyne Baptist Church look into the mirror which is God's word and see Christ in all his greatness and then see the smallness of the storms that we face and be ready with a faith then. As we look in the mirror, our faith is strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's increased so that we are anchored to the rock which is Jesus Christ and so that we can remember that he is the one who creates all things, that he is the one who sustains all things. And so therefore we do not need to be afraid of even the greatest of death threats that may come against the church and against our own selves. We can even sing that great hymn, Will Your Anchor Hold, which we'll sing in a moment from our bulletins. I encourage you to get your bulletin there and open it up to the, the third page there where it has that hymn, Will Your Anchor Hold. And in the chorus, what does it say? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. So let's not be afraid of death. We have an anchor. And where is it fixed to? It's fixed to the rock which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. We don't need to be afraid of death in the worst of storms. And why shouldn't we be afraid? Well, it's no fun being afraid. Being afraid of death all the time, it's no fun. That's no joyful way to live. And of course, it also robs Christ of his glory. We claim to believe in the God himself and that he is amongst us, that he is with us and that he has made promises that he will look after us, that even through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. If we start getting afraid in the valley of the shadow of death, 
it takes away the glory of Christ Jesus. He is not magnified in our lives. He is not exalted as we show that we get so fearful in the face of storms that in reality the word shows us are so small and insignificant close uh, when we compare them to him. But when we are afraid, and we still do get afraid, I admit this as well, it's, it's interesting, I was preparing this sermon and as I'm preparing it, I'm always applying it to my own heart. Someone said recently that every week we come along to church and it's like Joel slaps us in the face. Well, you don't realise that I've been slapped in the face all week by the word of God as I've been applying it to my own heart. And it's amazing how often I am afraid and I need to remember that my little storm is a storm in a teacup compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ as shown in Matthew chapter 8 and in the rest of God's word. So what do we do when we are afraid? Well, we need to do what the disciples did when they were afraid. Cry out, Lord, save us. Churches do face pretty scary situations. And we've got to understand that the disciples here, they were in a terrible plight. It was not a good thing that they were going through. It was a terrible thing. They, most of them were fishermen. They knew when a storm was bad. This was bad. They thought that they were going to drown. It's kind of like if you're on a plane today and there's turbulence and you see the stewardess buckle herself into a seat as well, get out her rosary and start praying. If you see that, you know things are bad. That's how it was for the disciples. We shouldn't be too hard on them. And severe threats come against God's people today as well. And death is always there. What should we do? Even with that little faith that we have, we should call upon Christ. Call him to wake up and come to us and help us. And then as we do that, what will happen? Jesus will rebuke the storm in our hearts. He will rebuke the storm outside our hearts. And calm will spread through our soul. And we will marvel at Christ all the more. And our faith in him will increase as our saviour. We should go through that process of calling out to him in the midst of storms. We shouldn't be afraid to exercise that little faith. When the fear starts mounting up, we should exercise it like the people, uh, like we're encouraged, like the people did in Psalm 107. Turn with me now to page 600, where you see this put forward so clearly. Psalm 107 almost should be compulsorily read when we read Matthew chapter 8 and the, st and the, the storm that Jesus calms or in the other synoptic gospels. Matthew, uh, Psalm 107, reading from verse 23. Psalm 107, reading from verse 23, page 600 of your church Bibles. Verse 23, where it says, Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. This is the process we should go through. When we 
are in trouble, we call upon God, we cry out to him in our trouble, and he will bring calm and peace to our lives. And what do we do? Well, we give thanks to him for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for men, and exalt him amongst others. We praise the Lord amongst others so that they too understand that this is the living God who we worship. But what about you who have not followed Jesus into the boat, the church? I've been applying a lot of the passages today to us who are believers. But what about you who are not in the boat, the church yet? Why haven't you gotten into the boat with Jesus? Is it because you're like that teacher of the law so many years ago that you know it's going to be tough if you're a Christian and so you don't want to follow him? Or is it that there's other things that you put first before Jesus, that you will follow him one day, but not right now. There's other things that I need to deal with first. And we looked at those last week about work and family and recreations. That we want to do those first before we start following Jesus. If that is you, that you're not like the disciples and you haven't gotten into the boat, then you should be afraid. Why? You are in the sea too. And you're in a boat. But what will happen one day? A furious storm will come without warning and your boat will sink and you'll drop into the lake of fire. Why? Because Christ the Almighty God is not in your boat with you. He is not in your boat. And so you are not safe. What should you do? You should smash that carnival mirror that you've been looking in all your life that makes Jesus small and the things of this world big and important. That's what you need to smash. You need to start smashing that mirror and read the word of God, which is a true and accurate mirror. It's not concave and it's not convex. It's straight and will give you a true representation of the world and its storms and it will give you a true representation of Jesus Christ and who he is. That's what you need to do. And then what do you do? as you look in his word and see Christ for who he truly is, get out of whatever leaking boat you're in and get into Christ's boat today by faith. Make today the day of your salvation, that you finally get into the boat that has Christ Jesus in it so that you can enjoy the calm, the peace that Christ gives. Even in deathly storms, his disciples can fear no evil because he is with them and his rod and his staff, they comfort him. You can enjoy that too. You can get into the boat today by faith and enjoy the calm that he brings. How do you do it? How do you get into the boat? I've said it's by faith. How can you do it? How, what should you do today? Look at the storm. Look at hell itself. Look at death. And cry out, Lord, save me. That's all you need to do. Come to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. I'm afraid of death like those disciples were so many years ago. Lord, save me. Believe there is a Lord. And that Lord is Jesus Christ. And cry to him now in your heart, save me. I'm going to die. And he will save those who come to him by faith and cry out for salvation. Yes, the faith of Christians may be small. It may be small. 
we may still get afraid and call on our Saviour. But at least we're safe in the boat with Jesus, even if we don't always know it. The disciples were safe, they just didn't know it. And that's the case for Christians today as well. But at least we're safe in the boat with Jesus. By that small faith. You only need faith, tiny faith, like a little child. That's all you need in Jesus to be safe. But at least we have that faith. And so why don't you, if you're not in the boat, have that small faith that saves you from death for eternity as well? Let's come to Jesus in prayer. Let's speak to him now. Lord Jesus, truly you are the Son of God. And we confess that in the face of deathly storms, we are often afraid as our faith in you is small. But we thank you for giving us faith so that we are safe, even if we do not always know it. But Lord, we ask that you would send the Spirit to us so that we read the Scriptures, that true and accurate mirror, and so clearly see your greatness and clearly see the smallness of storms and death. And so we're not afraid. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is not in your church, who has not gotten into the boat with you, may they get into it today by faith and be saved. And we pray this in your name. Amen.